listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman, and today, all the way from Brampton, Ontario, we have Ricky Lima. Ricky is uh, an independent comic book writer. He's written a graphic novel called Deep Sea. He's written a series called Black Hole Hunters Club. It's an ongoing comic book series with uh, Shane Huron, future Speech Bubble guest. And now he's launched a Kickstarter. We're sort of in the middle of it, if you're listening to this. Today, it's uh, it's September right now, so we're sort of in the middle of his Kickstarter. But the Kickstarter is for uh, a new comic that he's working on called Happily ever after and happily ever after is sort of a fantasy comic and a love story the premise basically is if a princess was kidnapped and holed up in a castle in a tower she uses a a dating app kind of like tinder to find uh, knights to to rescue her but they're all uh, pretty pathetic. So, uh, so welcome, Ricky. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's it's good to have you in. Uh, we we go back quite a ways. Yeah, I think I met you at uh, the Twenty Four Hour Comic Jam back in like 2012. Yeah, yeah. When when they had it at the uh, old Lounge, comic book yeah. lounge and gallery. Yeah, yeah. I, good yeah. times. Very good times. Very good times. <laughs> I think you're one of the few dedicated writers we've ever had on, oh, on really? the podcast who just does writing for comics because a lot of people we have on are writer artists. So I think you're going to have a unique take. We're going to talk about some of the uh, financial realities of <laughs> self-publishing your own comic. We're going to talk about uh, dating because your new comic, Happily Ever After, has yeah, a lot yeah. to do with, with <laughs> dating. So, but before we get into sort of your projects and how you got into comics and that sort of thing, I want to know a little bit about your early life. Uh, obviously, you're from Brampton. So, uh, what was it like growing up in, in Brampton? And uh, what, what what were your parents like? Do you have any, like, siblings, brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got uh, three siblings. They're all older, older than me. My sister is the closest one to my age, and she's seven years older than me. So, How old are you? I'm 28. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um it's a big, pretty big age gap between like my siblings and me and uh, I think that kind of like affected the way I grew up because uh, I, when I was a kid I always felt like I was like older than everyone else in my in my grade uh I guess cuz like you know I hung out with you know my my siblings who are much older than me. Did right? they sort of influence you in terms of like taste and stuff? So you got into like yeah, more sure. mature things earlier like, kind of thing? Me and my sister would stay up and watch like David Letterman and like Beavis and Butthead and stuff. And, um, you know, like what kid is doing that at that like seven and eight? <laughs> right, right. Uh, and my brother too was, he got caught up in the 90s comic boom. He would like put his comics on the wall and stuff, just like, oh, look at this. Uh, and I'd walk in his room and I'd be like, whoa, man, look at all these comics. How old is your brother? He's like 40 something. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, like he had like Spawn number one on the wall and 
couple of Batman, like, long Halloween issues, and I was like, whoa, man, these are so cool. So, and he had, like, this Lobo poster that was really cool, um, and then I got it once he moved out, and I was like, yes, but I don't know where it is now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so is that kind of what got you into comics? Is your, yeah, for is sure. your brother in that My stuff? brother and, uh, like, all the 90s animated shows that they had. Those things really got me. Like X-Men, Spider-Man, yeah, X-Men and those Spider-Man. sort of things. Um, Silver Surfer for a little bit. Oh, yeah, Silver that. Surfer. There was like it some... It was kind of cheesy, yeah. I remember <laughs> there was sort of like the good quality ones. Like there was X-Men and Spider-Man. Yeah. And I, yeah, Silver Surfer was sort of in that same vein. But then there was also like the UPN crappy ones, like the Iron Man. Yeah, and Iron Man Hulks. and Hulk. They were kind of like cheesy. Uh, and then um, there was another one. Spider-Man 2099, I think oh, it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And where, like, Venom and Carnage were their own, like, separate Oh, yeah, yeah, I think it was called... I think it was sort of based on, on Spider-Man 2099, the uh, comic series, but I think it was called Spider-Man Unlimited, yeah, where he's, like, in the right. future. Yeah, it was late. Yeah. But it wasn't even in the future. He, like, got in a ship that, like, sent him into the future. I was like, what is this? This is crap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> totally. And it was like, because Venom and Carnage were like, you know, the comic relief. They'd be bumbling around, like, trying to do their own thing. Right. It just didn't make any sense. Yeah, was, and they had, like, spikes. Weird. And I was like, what is this? Yeah, and he had, like, a whole <laughs> different costume with, like, a yellow yeah. mane Didn't make thing. any sense. Yeah, it was weird. But, yeah, like, 90s cartoons. Like, I could talk to you about that for hours. <laughs> so, that's how you sort of got into comics. What did you start, like, reading? Well, I was reading my brother's comics when I was a kid, but it was never, like, very serious. Like, I, was, uh, I think Maximum Carnage, that Spider-Man uh, series, Yeah, that was, like, my GM when I was a kid. I was like, man, this is so cool. But I never um, I never had the whole thing. So I, like, read it, but I never, like, finished it or anything. And there were some holes in, in the issues I have. So I was like, uh, I'll just keep reading these issues, I guess. Uh, and then when I, when I read the whole thing later on, um, it was pretty interesting to see, like, how it ended. Because for, for, like, 15 years, I didn't know how it ended. It was like so. a lifetime question finally <laughs> answered. Exactly, right? And then Captain America shows up. And that was, like, when I was reading that, I was like, whoa, crap, Captain America's in this? So that, yeah, I don't know. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and then when I, when I got into university, uh, usually like most comic people you talk to, that's kind of like the thing, right? Is like, yeah, once, you get to draw when you're like a kid and you're yeah. like good at drawing and it's something you always know that you're going to do. Like w- that wasn't the case for you. Um, well, I always liked writing. Um, I just didn't know what direction that would take. Um, and then, yeah, in university, I started reading like Alan Moore and, uh, Neil Gaiman stuff. And I was like, whoa, man, comics are like, intense. who turned you on to that? I don't know. I think when I, so I was reading, um, Stephen King's Dark Tower novels. Okay. And then just, um, as I started reading it, they released the Marvel comics, um, with Jay Lee in them. So I was like, oh man, this is, this is perfect. So I started reading those, uh, and then just going to comic shops, I'd see all these books and I had no idea about like, you know, the killing joke or the Watchmen and stuff. Um, and then that was really right when the Watchmen movie, movie started coming out. So that's when I started checking out like Alan Moore and stuff and doing like real research on comics and like the different types of comics. That's when I, my mind was opened up to like what comics can actually like in, in terms of a literary form. So I was like, oh, man, I guess I could do this. Wow. <laughs> so what was your first comic shop? When did you start going, like, regularly? Yeah, that was Stadium Comics in okay. Brampton. And uh, I started going regularly when the Dark Tower comics came out. Okay. I was only picking up Dark Tower, but then now I pick up, like, everything. Nice. So you, you started researching, like, all the, like, you know, seminal books. Yeah, yeah. The, that that kind of stuff that, you know, all the pretentious university students are reading and, you know, studying right. in class. 
like these are things like mouse dark knight watchman yeah, yeah. those sorts of things but you started to think like i i want to do this as a thing yeah because like i always liked writing like i said and um yeah, I was writing a lot of prose, but then reading the comics, um, you could do so much more in comics. And I was like, man, that's so cool. So, yeah, I just started writing comic scripts, but didn't have, like, any artists attached or anything. It was just, like, pure scripts. It was fun, but nothing was happening with it. So, I was kind of, like, getting a little discouraged. Like, I didn't even know how to start, right? Uh, how did you, like, how did you learn the structure, like, the script well, structure? <laughs> I just kind of made it up. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I first actually wrote them, I wrote them like plays. Uh, so my first scripts were actually basically plays with kind of basic uh, panel layouts that I had in mind. But yeah, it was like full on, like this happens, this happens, this happens. And then if there's dialogue, there'd be dialogue. I figured, like, I'd be, I figured I'd give it to an artist and they'd be like, oh, okay. And then they'd just draw that. But it's probably not the best way of going about it. Uh, and then I started working at Stadium Comics after like uh, being a customer for a while. So then from there, I got exposed to like Comic Cons and like going to uh, and meeting artists and stuff. And from there, that's when I um, I, I got connected with artists that I could work with. So oh okay, what did you do for Stadium? You're just like a retail person. Yeah, yeah, just doing retail. Um, and then they have a show called Unboxing Wednesdays. Okay. Um, and at that time, I was really like gung ho about doing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, man, I want to be on the show. And then uh, after a while, one of the co-hosts who like co-owns the story didn't want to like be on camera anymore. So I was like, yeah, that's I want to do that. So. <laughs> So uh, they they brought me on, and I've been doing it for like oh man, like five years now. So unboxing Wednesdays, it's like a YouTube series every Wednesday. Stadium Comics does it as sort of a promotional thing for yeah. Stadium Comics, but and they just unveil like the new comics, mm-hmm. and Ricky sort of stands around and does commentary on <laughs> the sorts yeah, of things. He also kind of you know looks weird at the, into the camera <laughs> and like yeah. extreme yeah. close up of Ricky or like. <laughs> <laughs> or like you know the other guy who's the other guy that Kevin does Hickey. it he cones the story and he cones the story so Kevin Hickey is like the main dude who would like commentate and stuff and then Ricky you'd see Ricky just off into the background <laughs> and then the, yeah. and, and then they'd cut and then all of a sudden Ricky would be like really close well yeah because like yeah, we, yeah. we have a, a prize section where we give up prizes right uh, and I guess I filmed the too close to my face <laughs> so yeah it can be jarring sometimes but. But it works, you know. My is my face is in frame, basically. Right, right, exactly. So you're still doing that for them? Yeah, it's been going for like oh, five years. But like, Kevin Hickey is he? He doesn't want to be on camera, or no? He's the other one, Rob Sinney. Oh, he, oh, okay. Uh, he's the other co-owner. And he he was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> oh, okay, so, okay. And then he had a kid and stuff, so he's busy. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. And like, Sam Comics is sort of a unique comic shop because it's in a mall, right? Yeah. So what's like, the experience of like, you don't have people walking in off the street. You have people that have to sort of discover you in the mall kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get a lot of foot traffic in the mall, right? Yeah. Like, people just walking by. Stadium's in a unique position because they don't have, like, they're not huge, you know, they're not a silver snail or they're not the beguiling. So they really have to make their own buzz. And that's really where the, the Stadium Comics uh, YouTube channel came in. Yeah. They they got a pretty like solid online following and they do like online sales and stuff and it's um it's really awesome to see that you know this small small 
place in Brampton can really be kind of like an international no name, right? Yeah, and it, and it seems like like a lot of people watch these videos mostly for you. <laughs> probably. Well, I don't, I don't know about and, that. And, and and like they do, they like give away comics to like people all over the world. You know, they do like the prizes and that sort of thing. And uh it's pretty crazy because if it's not your local shop, what do you generally care, like, what's coming out? Yeah, the week? for sure. But then also, like, if you don't have a local shop around you or you're not exposed yeah. to a comic shop, it's nice to know what's coming exactly, out yeah. that week. And, and it's good, too, even if Stadium's not your um, shop, to know what comes out so that when you go to the store, you can be like, well, this, I need this and this. And Stadium's pretty honest when it comes to, like, what is free and, like, what is, like, a variant and stuff. Because sometimes stores can, like, jack up the price of, like, random issues. Right. Um, um, so we kind of like show what what is the normal price and what what everything is, right? So. Yeah, and and they show like they don't just show like one copy of a particular issue. They show like the variants of that yeah, issue. Yeah, so yeah. and it and they'll say you know such and such number one, and then it'd be like such and such number one sketch cover. Yeah, like it's very no nonsense. It's it's whatever issues we get in a store though. Sometimes there's like you know one in five hundred uh, variants that we just don't get, so right. we don't show that, but. In general, we show everything that we get. Cool. So, do you still work there, or are are you just um, doing the unboxing? I, I just videos? do unboxing Wednesdays now. Okay. Yeah, I left for another job, and um, uh, so then they hired more people. Uh, okay. <laughs> and yeah. then I left that other job, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> cool. So now I'm just focusing on comics. So. Uh, okay. Cool. Let's get back to like pairing with artists and stuff who was the first artist that you met that you that you wanted to work with after going to like conventions and things yeah well the first artist i met uh was this guy alex blackburn and he he went to like art school and stuff and i met him because he worked at a wine store near my house and my friend worked there and he knew that he drew um so i, I gave him those like play like scripts that i had where was his reaction and he was like oh uh. <laughs> he's like well this is interesting and he was like he was down to do it but but um, I, I don't think illustration was necessarily his uh, driving passion, and and those scripts were just so like dense and so like uh, intense that I think he he drew a couple panels and then kind of fell by the wayside, which is totally fine. Like I'm still friends with him and stuff. He's an awesome guy. Uh, but the real comic collaboration started in 2012 when I met David Bishop. You, you've had him on the show, right? Yeah, he's he's the dude who did uh, Deep Sea with yeah. you. Yeah, so me and David Bishop met at Wizard World. Uh, Stadium had a table at Wizard World. Back when they used to do Wizard World here in Toronto. Wizard World yeah. Toronto, yeah. yeah they, they, they only did it for one or two years <laughs> because yeah, Wizard World Toronto like, sucked. I think the first yeah, it was pretty con, garbage. it was very, very dead. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but that worked out because David was at was at a table beside us, and because it was so dead, we could talk to him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I talked to him. and I saw his stuff, and it was it was so good. Um, he was doing like Stranger uh, at that time, so I said Zombie Story, and um, so yeah. So then I added him on Facebook, and we were talking through that, and then he posted a, a picture of, of Superman that he drew in uh, pen. So it was like blue and red pen. And I was like, "Wow, that's so cool, man! We should do like a comic in that style, like blue and red pen." Um, and he he seemed down. And I was like, "Oh yeah." Um, so I was trying to think of like an idea that goes with blue and red. And then so then we had like water and blood, and that's kind of where Deep Sea came from. I originally it was supposed to be done in like blue and red pen, Deep Sea, but that just proved to be like too weird. So <laughs> we went more traditional, but what, kept the blue and red. What were the scheme. struggles with the blue and red pen? Just because it was, it was just like you know, 
it'd be too like messy i think on the page yeah and wouldn't really translate too well sort of like a zine-ish yeah style. yeah it, it would look good in like a single image and he did do like a single image of the monster in deep sea in in his pen style and it was it was so it was so cool but yeah it wouldn't translate well to like a full yeah, comic. yeah. you'd be like what the hell is this <laughs> so so where did the idea come from was it just the blue and red pretty or? much yeah i was like well uh, what what is blue and red? Water and blood. And I was like, well, okay, well, why is the blood in the water? And then I was thinking about oil, and um, and then yeah, the the whole idea of like the monster being used as a resource for their for oil and stuff kind of came to mind. Cool. So for the people who haven't read it, like, what is it basically about? Um, Deep Sea. It's hard to explain without spoiling it, but it's about like a city who uses like this secret energy source. And you find out in the first eight pages that the energy source is coming from this monster that they've captured and they have like pipes coming out of it and stuff. At the beginning of the, of the graphic novel, he like escapes and now the city's like running out of fuel, but they're trying to find like this diver who, who discovered the monster and stuff. So it's like a to get him back. thriller, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's a it's a weird like quiet thriller where the protagonist is a pregnant woman. So it's like kind of like anti action, and also a diver. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of risky to go diving when you're pregnant, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, she wasn't pregnant when she was diving. Oh, okay. Yeah, she got pregnant after. I see. I see. <laughs> I see, I see. So, uh, so that's cool. What were some of your early? Like you said, you liked writing. What got you into writing? Like who turned you on to that? What did you like about it? What were some of your early um, things that you wrote even before comics? Well, I think uh, what got me into writing was my cousin would always just tell me like stories that he would make up. And they're usually, like, about me and my teddy bear, which was really cool. Um, so, he, like, he, this was all, like, completely off the top of his head, right? Right. And he would tell me these stories, and I'd always be like, man, these stories are so cool. Uh, so then, as a kid, I'd try to write my own stories about, you know, me and my teddy bear. And it's funny, because I, I actually read one of them recently, and it's just, like, a straight-up, like, Harry Potter ripoff. Like, <laughs> I go to, like, this magic school and meet these people. My my teddy bear is with me, and it's it's, it's literally the worst. Yeah, but, but, it, but it's, like, before <laughs> Harry Potter, though. No, no, this no? is, like, right when Harry right, Potter right, came right, out. Harry Potter yeah. was coming out? <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so this is, I was probably, like, 10 or 11. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, this is good. I mean, I try to make it, like, a parody of Harry Potter, but it just turned out to be, like, a total ripoff. Basically Harry Potter, yeah. <laughs> You're not Neil yeah. Gaiman. You can't do, like, books of magic, yeah. like, a, like Which 10 years fine. before. Uh, and then I started doing more, like, serious stuff, um, more, like, fantasy-based stuff. But they always turned out to be, like, very pretentious. You know what I mean? There's, like, you know, these wizards speaking in high speak and stuff. And no one wants like to read thou that. Yeah, it's just lame. Uh, and then in high school, what re- so what really solidified my love of writing was uh, in high school, I took writer's craft. And we did our first assignment. And it was to describe a barn without... Um... Okay, no, yeah. So you have to describe a barn after someone has died. But you can't say that someone has died. You you just have to kind of like feel. You just it. have to describe it, and then the reader has yeah, to like infer the reader, that exactly. someone has to has died based yeah, on exactly, the exactly yeah. So so I did that, and um, the next the next week the teacher's like, oh, I want to read someone's thing, and he didn't say who it was, and it was mine, and I was like, holy crap, this is wicked. So he read it, and everyone in the class was like, wow, that's really good, and I was like, oh man, maybe I could do this. Nice. <laughs> so then. Um, yeah, and then in university I took English, which I mean every writer kind of takes English, right? Right. Like, 
that's the thing that <laughs> you do for some reason. Uh, well, you have to. It's part. It's part of it. Well, I mean, there's a creative writing degree that you could easily take. That's but, true. That's true. But uh, yeah, I, I've met some people who took creative writing degrees, and they're like, "Yeah, it's pointless." So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. but uh, yeah. So then in, in university, I was taking writing classes, and that was really cool. Uh, and it really exposes you to like different ways of writing. And different yeah, you things. lost like the pretension sort of thing in university, and like. Um, the habits yeah. that you were developing. I, it's, it's weird, right? Because it, it still is pretentious, but it's not, but it, it's pretentious enough where people are like, oh yeah, that was good. You yeah. know, it's yeah. not like overtly pretentious. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? But it's still like, yeah, it's still some of the stuff I've written back then. I read it now and I'm like, oh my God, that's terrible. But you got you kind of have to work through that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And I think every writer has that, those moments of like looking back on their work and like hating, hating it. Like, I don't know any writer who likes what they wrote. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially you're... when you write um, very from the heart. Because as you're growing up, like, you're always writing. Uh, like, sure, it's a story, but it's, like, very personal to you. Right. And then you read it, and you're like, yeah, I remember what I was thinking there. And you just, like, cringe into non-existence. You know right, I mean? right, just, right. Just collapse in yourself. So. Cool. So you did Deep Sea. Like, how was it received? When did it, when was yeah, it released? Yeah, we, we launched it uh, Free Comic Book Day, or the Halloween Free Comic Book Day in 2012. And we only printed a hundred issues, and we sold a hundred issues that like that day, which was crazy. And so from there, we're like, man, people really like this, you know? Like it's it's uncommon to sell a hundred issues in a day, right? Especially if it's your first thing. So from there, uh, we decided to do more. Yeah, I started writing the the graphic novel pretty much right there. Wow! So it started out as a single issue, and then it went to graphic novel. Yeah, it was only eight pages. Which, <laughs> if if a, if a young writer came to me and is like, "Yeah, I'm writing a graphic novel," I'd tell him not to do it, right? So, Why? because as a young writer, like you have no, you have no right to write a graphic novel. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you, you can't just start from like start running. You know, the graphic novels take a lot of time and effort to do. And, uh, you know, that, that's obviously like my ignorance of the situation is me doing this graphic novel, but I mean, it worked out, right? So who am I yeah, to say? Yeah. <laughs> like, so during a graphic, like graphic novels are generally like longer, right? Like how long was the graphic novel? For uh, this one was, I think 96 pages. So when you're doing 96 pages and you're in the middle of it, was there ever a point where you're like, where you're like, oh my God, like <laughs> I, I'm bored of this or no, my like, style has totally changed now and like, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, yeah. Like, well, I wrote it fairly quickly. I think maybe within like a month or two. Um, so I didn't have the opportunity to look back and be like, whoa, man, this is too much. Yeah. But uh, I definitely like after the fact, so I did Black Hole Hunters Club after I wrote that graphic novel and then but Black Hole Hunters Club came out before the graphic novel came out. Um, so I had like gotten a lot better for Black Hole Hunters Club. And then when we released the graphic novel, I was reading it. I was like, oh man, there's some like issues here, but <laughs> yeah, totally. You know. So Black Hole Hunters Club, that was your next, that you just went right into Black Hole Hunters Club. Yeah, how did yeah. that, it was, how um, did that happen? So at the 24 hour comic jam that we met, uh, I also met Shane. Okay. Well, I met Shane at the Halloween comic fest where that we released Deep Sea. Yeah. Um, and I guess like selling a hundred issues, Shane was like, oh, who's this guy? <laughs> uh, but so then I met him again at the 24 hour comic jam and he was like hey you want to like do something so i was like yeah i do because his stuff was like his art was wicked we he sent me some like character designs and stuff that he had just like whipped up in his spare time uh and he had like a basic storyline for him so i took that and i wrote like a 12 page thing because we wanted to do the 12 hour comic jam 
that right. uh, the Comic Lounge has. Right. Uh, yeah, and then basically that that Comic Jam, I think that was in March of 2013. Yeah. And then, so yeah, so we did that, and then we released it for Free Comic Book Day in 2013. And we didn't sell 100 issues, but we sold like 80. <laughs> oh. And I was like, well, man, this is awesome. So then we just continued it because people dug it. What do you think it is about what you do that like makes people buy so many of them? I mean, it's free comic day. First of all, it's free comic day. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's expecting free comics, <laughs> and they gotta buy. They, they gotta buy the comic, but yeah, they, they no love it so rides. much. Like, what makes it? What makes them love it so much? Oh man, I don't know. that's a tough question, man. Uh, like, what kind of feedback do you get? That's the thing, man. A lot of people read indie comics and don't really give you much feedback. They're like, "Yeah, it's good," and that's it. And you're like, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, sometimes you do get feedback from people, and that's really great. I love getting feedback um, because it like helps you grow. Right. But I don't know. What, I guess like people like me personally, maybe. Yeah, and I think kinda... I think it's just your personality. Like, I think <laughs> I think people get a kick out of just who you are as a person. Yeah. So. I think you're just like naturally funny. And I think it's sort of, maybe it's to your detriment because if people are too, for sure, if yeah. you feel like, you know, people think you're funny all the time and they're always like joking with you, like no, nobody takes you seriously. Yeah, no, for like, sure. Sometimes I definitely feel like I'm not taken seriously sometimes. I don't know. You kind of have to take that with a grain of salt, I guess. Like, because then if you could show that you could do it and still have a good time and still like be cool, uh, then, then I think people respond to that. But yeah, no, I, I definitely see what you're saying. And it can, sometimes it gets frustrating that people, you know, to like, hey, well, Ricky, right? Clad. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, no, man, like, I'm like a legit dude doing stuff. You know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Totally, totally. Where do you think you get your personality from? Is that like a parental influence or? Uh, well, my parents are immigrants, so I'm first generation Canadian. And so. From like, where? Immigrants from where? Uh, from Portugal. Okay. So like I've, I grew up kind of, there's always like a language barrier. Like they speak Portuguese. I speak English. Like I can understand Portuguese. Um, so it was never like, like I, I remember as a kid, I was always like, man, it's so weird when I go to a friend's house and their parents can speak English and like can have like a, a normal conversation. I was always like, that's so weird to me. Like, <laughs> I just, I couldn't imagine my, my life like that. I was always like, man, it's so weird. Because in your life, it's sort of you trying to interpret Portuguese. Yeah, exactly. And then or, translate and, it to English. Yeah, and, and like then... some concepts that I would, I would try to like convey to them just wouldn't translate well. And yeah. it was just like, like, uh, in high school, I was a valedictorian and I would, I told my parents, I was like, yeah, I'm the valedictorian. And they're like, oh, okay. And I was like, oh, what, man. No, it's a big deal. And like, well, all right, I don't know what is that. And I was like, ah, I don't know. It's like a, I'm doing a speech, I guess. And they're like, oh, cool. Wow. So as you got older, did they ever? Did they ever like learn English, or is are they basically? Yeah, yeah. My my mom's really good at English now, okay. uh, but it's just like con- conceptually, sometimes right. it's tough. Right. So yeah. So growing up, I kind of like watched a lot of TV, played a lot of video games. So I feel like a lot of my personality comes from like The Simpsons. <laughs> right, right. That was like a huge influence on me. So, uh, so yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of my personality, I guess, comes from like television of the 90s. Yeah. Cause when it's hard to relate to your parents and like interact with them, like you're basically like alone and you're sort of, yeah, yeah. You know, raised by television. Like I was exactly. sort of babysat by television because yeah, my, my mom worked a lot. Exactly. Right. Like, and that's totally fine. Like I, you know, I have no problem with that. Like I love my parents and they're awesome. Yeah. And they've, they've given me so much. And I'm almost like thankful that I kind of like grew up that way, uh, because 
now like i'm a cool dude yeah <laughs> and like because pop culture and like comics culture is like the dominant culture now you have a frame of reference that like is like vital and important mm-hmm. you know for people to understand like where we're at now kind of yeah thing. and it's great that we grew up at right at the cusp of like the internet so like we can remember a time without internet like, vaguely but uh but also at the same time like we were like the pioneers of the internet too, right? So right, but before it got all like corporatized, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's like so corporate, dominated by a few large companies, right? Yeah, yeah. We, totally. Like it was more free. It was more like the utopia that you know. Yeah, they it was definitely of. like crappier in terms of yeah. like HTML and right. like you know. But once Web two point hit, you're like, well, man, this is this is where it's at. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. C- certainly crappier, but also sort of like oh like there was sort yeah. of more to explore and yeah, like, for where sure, does yeah. this go and, and like growing up with like msn the instant messaging was like it was, it was so cool that you could like talk to people outside of school um and you, you just spend hours just talking to people you know right I mean? right cool so like tell me tell me a little bit about black hole hunters club like it was shane's idea first like what was the basic idea and like what did it develop yeah into? shane developed the characters so he drew like Lars and Hector, and he had like what, what they did, and he um, he had the idea that uh, Lars can transform into that big guy. Okay, so for people who don't know, these are like alien bounty hunters, right? Like they mm-hmm. these aren't humans; they're like bug type aliens, basically. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much like all bug type. <laughs> yeah. So when we say Lars and Hector, these aren't like space like people who like travel in spaceships. I mean, they are, but they they're not human. Yeah, they're like bug aliens. They're bug aliens. Yeah. yeah. So he had the idea that uh, Lars could transform from the larva into like this big muscular dude. Okay. And his original idea was they came to Earth, and Lars becomes like a, uh, wants to be like a superhero, and so they're learning about Earth. And he's, like, learning to be a superhero. For some reason, he had this idea that Lars is, like, learning about humor. So his jokes are always, like, super crappy <laughs> as he's learning about humor. Um, so then we took that, and I was like, okay, well, what if instead of, like, they come to Earth, they just meet a human, and they're bounty hunters, and um, instead of, like, because space stories are always, like, humans against aliens. Right. But this one, we're like, okay, what if it's, like, aliens against humans, and you're, like, rooting for the aliens? So then, so yeah, so we did that. And then some of the concepts are still from his original idea are in the first issues. So like the fact that like Lars has crappy humor that's in there, him not really like knowing what a human is. Cause in the, in the first issue, he's like, oh, I've never seen a human. I don't know if I could transform into one. And he transforms into this giant monster like human. And he's like, yeah, no, this is good. <laughs> he goes in and then the other human is like, what the hell is that? <laughs> so, originally, though, Shane wanted to draw him like naked with like this huge cock. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, we were like, yeah, maybe we already had swearing in the book. And we we're like, man, if we had like nudity, I don't know if yeah, I people I, read it. <laughs> people feel a little too uh, yeah. about it. I mean, hopefully not, but. You know, I think now you could pull it off because, uh, like, what issue are you up to at Seven. Black Honors Club? Yeah, I guess we could technically do it now. <laughs> yeah. So, and they just basically go around, like, collecting bounties yeah, for, yeah. like, assassinations. Uh, the first stuff. arc focused on one particular bounty, but I think in the coming arcs, we're going to maybe shorten the arcs and do, like, quicker bounties just because, like, that's fun. Yeah, you know? yeah <laughs> totally. The first, the first arc is, um, it, it's still fun, but it's kind of serious in a way. Yeah, and I don't know if that's necessarily what Black Hole Hunters Club is. So it'll be good to do like shorter, more 
fun arcs. It's kind of cool, though, because even if the plot is serious, like, the style and, like, the characters and, like, the setting is so off the wall that it's not going to really be taken, like, that yeah. that seriously. Like, Sheen's, Sheen's whole thing is, like, let's just make it as alien as possible, right. which is awesome because then we could do whatever we want and not even explain why it's happening, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, ships grasp energy and that's how they like travel they have like these clasps that grasp energy yeah. and we never talk about it in the book but when you look at the ships you can see like these things riding these balls of energy right yeah yeah totally totally and and i think you have a good sensibility for that because you have a simpsonic <laughs> sense of humor right <laughs> well that's a cool word I like <laughs> simpsonic yeah. yeah like as in from the simpsons it's a word yeah, i just yeah. made up right? I it, yeah. yeah that's good i think i think going forward that's actually a good way of describing a lot of stuff yeah, yeah. there you go cool <laughs> so working machine like working with an artist as like a partner in like long term on an ongoing series what is that like because that's different than working with somebody on like a one-shot yeah for graphic sure. novel right yeah it's a lot more intense like um me and Shane, we don't have arguments, but we talk about like where it's going to go and stuff like that. And usually we're on the same page, which is good. Um, sometimes, like, I think the biggest thing I argue about is like small stuff, like naming. Uh, I wanted to have the names a little less alien and, uh, he wanted to make them more alien. And at the end of the day, we made them like more alien, but with like shorter forms that are a little bit easier to remember. Like Princess Zamra has like a name that's like, you know, super long, but people just call her like princess Zammer, right? right so so that's kind of like a good compromise but yeah shane's taught me a lot about pacing his his big thing is like pacing and um maybe when when i started i would, I would write a lot of like bl- slower stuff maybe and he's he's all about like keeping it fast and snappy which is good because so then, you skip certain panels on, on a page to get to like the action sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. There's there's always like things that Shane edits out because it's like too not snappy enough, which is which is totally fine. Like that's part of the editing process, right? right? right. And that's kind of what gives Black Hole Hunters Club its feeling, right? Is the is me writing this and then him editing it as he's doing art, and I think that makes for like a really good. Really good collaboration. It fits the book, right? Yeah. Because the book is like yeah, for sure. Fast paced. And the book is all about like you know being badass and fast, right? And like <laughs> and like if things screw up, you just roll with it, right? So I like I like to take that approach with the book. So nice, nice, awesome. So okay, so like Black Hunters Club, and you're up to like what, like issue seven? Issue seven, yeah. We have uh, volume one is out, uh, and that's that's what we sell now. So that is issues one to six. And then uh, we just released issue seven at Fan Expo, and a lot of people have been digging it. Nice, nice. And that's, is that the start of the second arc? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, and you can get it, like, if you're not in Toronto, like, where can you, where yeah, can you get it? Yeah, we have a store, um, I think it's called blackholecomics.storeenv.com, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Okay. <laughs> you can just go to our Facebook page, blackholehuntersclub, facebook.com slash blackholehuntersclub, and, um... Yeah, we have a link to our store there. Nice. Awesome. Cool. And uh, you'll often see, like, Shane posts, like, character designs and stuff on, on the Facebook page and, like, mm-hmm. and behind-the-scenes yeah. sort of stuff. So it's it's pretty worth it to join. But your new project is, is like, a, is a, a project that you figured out on your own, right? Yeah. It's, it, you're, this, uh, this Kickstarter that you're doing for Happily Ever After, 
I, I'm a contributor, so let me just Thanks, let me just man. let me just put that out there <laughs> yeah. right now, um, because you know I I, I don't I want to you know put my biases out on out on Front Street, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, like happily ever after, like tell the people about it because it's not. I mean, I, I don't want to spoil it, but there's this indication that it's not exactly what it seems. Like yeah. the premise. And you always come up with these like crazy premises because <laughs> yeah, Black Hole Hunters Club is also kind of a crazy premise. Yeah. Well, when you tell people what it is, it's just bounty hunters in space, right? But right. But happily ever after is the first one where the elevator pitch is like when you when you say it, you're like, oh wow, yeah, okay, that's that's different. So I, I tell people it's about a kidnapped princess who uses a dating app to find knights, and that's like such a like a condensed and solid elevator pitch, right? That people like immediately are like, oh yeah, okay, that's something. I want to read right and but, how did it come to you this idea yeah i was in a dream uh i was <laughs> so, really yeah it's like some like wayne's world thing okay. so I'm, I'm sleeping and i had a dream about a princess yelling at knights through skype and she was trying to get them angry to like come and rescue her right she's like oh you suck at being a knight and stuff and they're like, like i'll show negative you negative motivation yeah yeah and so it was like a very like punk rock kind of like tank girl kind of thing where she was so she was like yelling at them in the in the webcam uh and then they'd come and rescue her uh, so then when I woke up, I was like, well, that's, that's a really cool idea. But I didn't want it to be so, like, aggressive, you know what I mean? Because, like, I don't know, it just didn't appeal to me. You're you're not an aggressive person. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not an aggressive Ricky's person. Ricky's very, like, really teddy bear. He's <laughs> yeah. got a beard. You know, he's, got, he's got sort of the happy eyes oh. and, and smiles <laughs> nice. and stuff. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I, I can see that for sure. Yeah, so, like, and I mean, with Black Hole Hunters Club, there's a, it's, it's an action-based series, so I didn't want to do something that was, like action base at that point so yeah so i i, I kind of toned it down and i was like okay well what can i do and i had the princess using a dating app and i was like you know that's that's a little bit better and, and instead of like yelling at them she was being very sweet to them and like flirting with them and seeing if she can get them to come rescue her and like pretend to marry them when she actually doesn't care about these people yeah right uh so then i was thinking about that and um and then i was like okay well obviously a prince kidnaps her right and then I was like, no, that's, that's boring. And I didn't want to do like a prince kidnapping a princess because I was like, it's been done a million times and no one's going to care, right? So I was thinking about what I could do. And I remember when we were doing Deep Sea, David would always take characters that I've written and change them slightly. It just changed something small. And it was, it always made like big impact. So when I, when I wrote the first original eight pages, uh, the, the Deep Sea Diver was a male. And he's like, you know what, let's just make her a female. And I was like, all right. So we didn't change anything, but we just changed the gender of the character. And it, it totally, like, in my mind, it, like, totally opened up all these new possibilities, right? Because now, you know, like, they're talking to, because they'd have, like, a rough way of talking to the diver. Yeah. And now it's, like, they're rough talking, but to this female diver. And I was like, well, why would they do, like, you know, usually, like, if a man's talking to a woman, not not all the time, but, you know, like they'd try and be like a little less crude. Yeah. <laughs> you totally. know what I mean? So now it's like, they're talking. So now crudely. there's like a weird hist- yeah. history. That exactly. That's so then that really opened up everything. Yeah. And that's, that's actually like what created the graphic novel, like in my head. But right. it went from like, <laughs> why it went from trying to answer the question of like, why are they yelling yeah. at this person? Exactly. So then that, that opened all that up. So then I was trying to think in for happily ever after I was like, okay, well, if it's not a princess, kidnapping this princess what if it's a princess 
kidnapping another princess. Yeah, if it's not a prince. Yeah. yeah. So then, in my in my mind, that then that's when it really opened up, and I was like, okay, so where where does you know everything else fit in? You know, like how why is she kidnapping a princess? How does everyone else feel about that? And the story just kind of came from there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and like. Obviously, there's, like, a romantic, like, damsel in distress thing, but then the moment you make it, like, a same-sex character, there's automatically, like, the inference of, like, a, of like a same-sex relationship, which makes it really, really interesting. Yeah, and it's, it's not necessarily, like, a straight-up same-sex relationship, because the, the princess who kidnaps her, um, her family has a long history of kidnapping princesses right. because they've always just been male. Um, but now she, she was born and she's like, well, we have a long history of kidnapping princesses. So obviously I'm going to kidnap. That's princess. what you, I have to do. It's yeah. Part so, of the family. She, so she does that. And her father's like, you know, he's outraged. He's like, you can't marry a woman. And he's like, he's pissed off. And you find out, you know, spoiler alert that he like wants a, a grandchild and stuff. And like, that's, that's his whole motivation. That's why he's so like upset. And so then the princess who kidnaps her, she's not necessarily, she doesn't understand why it's such a big issue. Um, so then the book is kind of like her discovery of what exactly is sexuality and what's, what's her sexuality. And because she, she obviously has feelings toward this woman. So she needs to figure out how that works and what that means to her relationships and stuff and how that factors into like society as a whole, I guess. Right. Because initially she's just, like kidnapping the princess out of a sense of tradition exactly right. and wanting to slightly change that tradition because the, you know the previous tradition of kidnapping princesses is uh boring to her or something like or something like well that, yeah something it was, like it was the the prince kidnapping a princess was born to Bo- me. was boring yeah, yeah. The prin- throughout her, her, her history she's seen her ancestors kidnap princesses so she's like well that's what i have to do and she didn't really think about you know the implications of that but now now she has to think about that and then you know maybe throughout the book she discovers that that is her orientation right right that's pretty awesome yeah it's um i didn't i didn't set out to make like an lgbt friendly comic um it was definitely not you know something i was like i has to be lgbt friendly it was just what fit the story right oh, well it's it's what made the story interesting yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. It just it just made this very interesting. That's awesome. And then, but then now that you have done that and you've basically made an LGBT yeah. friendly comic, there are a lot of like implications for that in terms of like because people are like big on diversity now and yeah like, for sure. And Which, th- I they're going to ask you like you yeah. know are you mo- trying to move <laughs> the world forward yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Like, are there bigger motivations for you now that you've done it in retrospect? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just one person. Man. I can't, I can't make a change on anything. But if this book, if someone reads it and is like, you know what, that was a good representation of what you know someone is going through, and that's 100. percent I mean, to be honest, like if we know it or not, I think every single person in the world kind of goes through what this character goes through. Um, because I mean, as you're growing up, I mean, obviously maybe, maybe not so much nowadays, but growing up at least in the eighties and nineties, it's almost like heterosexuality was the norm. And like, that's like the default when you're growing up. Right. And then you kind of have to like, you know, once you hit puberty, you kind of have to like, look at yourself and some people do it unconsciously. Some people do it consciously. You have to look at yourself and be like, okay, is this me? Yes or no. Right. So I, I feel like that's something that every single person goes through. And I, I really wanted to capture that, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. And, like, as a former comic retailer, 
do you have any sort of views on like diversity in comics in general? And like, because we're at a time where there's a lot of diversity happening, not just in the people that are creating the yeah. comics, but the type of comics being created. We have comics like Bitch Planet from Image that's very feminist. We have uh, Thor is a woman. We have, mm-hmm. you know, Miss Marvel, and it's like a Muslim uh, high school to high school yeah. student, like that sort of thing. So, like, diversity is huge in comics now. And I wanted to know sort of how you felt as like a retailer, like you must have interacted with a lot of customers. What yeah. are what are your general views of like diversity in um, comics? In terms of like racial diversity, I'd have to say that my comic doesn't actually do a very good job of being <laughs> racially diverse, which sucks. I mean, I when when you're creating something, you almost kind of like white is the default. It, which well, is, when you are white, yeah, yeah. It, which is like well, even when you're not white. I mean, right. like internalized like whiteness is kind of like a thing, right? So it's it's if you're not thinking about it, it just everyone just kind of becomes white, which sucks. And I mean, issue one is a lot of white people in it, which <laughs> which I mean, like I can't the issue's done. You can't do anything about that now. But I definitely want to like in, include a lot more racial diversity going forward. But I, that's that's besides the point. Uh, I, I feel like in comics, so as a retailer, you would see a lot of people come in um, and they'd be interested in these new comics. Uh, but I, I feel like Marvel sometimes is a little heavy handed in terms of like their diversity. They're like, yeah, like they're doing it on purpose it, as like yeah. a trope. Yeah. And they're like, OK, well, th- we got to hit these check boxes. So let's let's do that and then let's do it. And you're like, ah. like Thor God of Thunder was so good. And Jason Aaron was like killing it. And then they're like, yeah, let's make Thor a woman. And you're like, well, how does this factor into the story? You're like, I don't. And it's like a very like stark change from Thor God of Thunder to the Mighty Thor. And it's fine. I really like the Mighty Thor. But in terms of like story, you could really tell that they're like, okay, let's, let's hit these check boxes, right? Right. So, does it feel that way in the story? Like, like do, is the sto- does the story make sense now that they've done it? Because because you have to sort of adjust to the corporate policy if if you're writing if you're writing yeah um, not yet but I I think they are because like Thor is unworthy now but we we have no no idea why he's unworthy of the hammer yeah and it's been like a year and a half and it's like dude come on just tell us like <laughs> what's going on but they have that new series coming out of the Thor unworthy so hopefully we find it then but yeah no it, it and you still don't understand like spoilers Jane Foster you still don't understand like how she came about to be Thor okay. Which is annoying. Still, like, it's a year and a half into the into the book, and it's a year and a half in, and this is the second series. You know what I mean? They already like rebooted it again. Yeah, because God of Thunder was a th- yeah, it was God of Thunder, Thor. but then they did Thor, and now it's Mighty Thor. They did like another number one, uh, and it's just like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, in terms of diversity, I really think that it's coming. It's coming along, and I think a lot of people are starting to understand. Um, what they're doing. And I think we're getting a lot of creators that really care about diversity and really try and incorporate that into their books. Um, so that's really great to see. Um, so in terms of writing this as a retailer, you know, I, I see people come in looking for stuff like that, but don't find it. Right. So I, hopefully, you know, something like this can fit into what they're looking for. The fact that you're writing a sort of a same sex, uh, you know, LGBTQ friendly comic and you yourself are like hetero and, 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 and straight and that sort of thing. Do you feel like you have to work harder in terms of research and empathy and, and, and those sorts of things going forward with the comic? Yeah, I, I definitely think that 
when you when you say straight, like a lot of like no one's a hundred percent straight, right? <laughs> no one is. <laughs> it's all it's always a spectrum, right? Yeah, it's all a spectrum, right? So I mean, it's not like I haven't looked at a guy and be like, you know, that guy's like attractive, but I mean, would I romantically be involved with the male? Probably not, right? Right. Um, but I think that that yeah, you definitely do have to do research. Like right now, I'm writing a a dating tip. A little zine to go with the Kickstarter if we oh, hit like, cool. a, a stretch goal. That definitely needs research because I've only had like heterosexual relationships. So I can write from that perspective, but there's so many other perspectives that I can't speak to. So now I'm doing research and I'm talking to people. I've talked to someone who's in like a poly relationship and that was super interesting. And I have a lot of like, um, uh, people in like different types of relationships. So I'm going to talk to them about it. And, um, and yeah, so so what have you learned so far? Um, I've actually learned that they're all the same. <laughs> okay. Like at the end of the day, like it's it's crazy to think that people have such problems with other relationships. Like it's literally all the same. Like in terms of in terms of like the relationship management, yeah, it's the like, same uh, no matter what kind the, of relationship. The guy I was to. talking to was in a poly relationship. And I was like, okay, well, what do you do if there's like you know like a problem in the relationship? He's like, well, I just talk to them, and I'm like. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. <laughs> you <laughs> you know, think there's like there's like a special yeah, like <laughs> thing that you do. Yeah. They have to like vote via council, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it's it's literally the same. Uh, I think maybe like finding a partner who's interested in a poly relationship might be a little bit different because uh, not everyone's into that. So that's probably where the biggest difference is. Because, but again, you just have to talk to them. And be like, this is the type of relationship I want. And if they're into it, then they're into it, right? Right. So, it might take you longer to find yeah, that person, but exactly. I mean, they're out there, obviously. And with the internet, I mean, yeah. it closes there the gap go. because you can, you know, if you're willing to travel, you can find who you're looking for right yeah. away. I've recently found a, a site called Fet Life. I don't know if you've ever. Oh, it, I've heard of it. It's, heard of it's sort of like it's like a fetish weird fetishes yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, and just like types of relationships where it's like you are kind of you. You're almost like a a couple's child and they take care of you but you still have like sex and stuff and it's like with it's, them yeah yeah, yeah. so you're like, like the third yeah but you're also like uh they take care of you yeah, you so know? you're like a subordinate yeah it's weird yeah. i was like man so you just you just kind of have to like learn about those types of relationships and how they work and how people um are in them and why they're in them and you know how, how it just works you know have you been Ever, like I'm a dude who's like fascinated with sex and sexuality and like yeah. the more the like obviously the physical part but more the psychological stuff that goes into it and like yeah. the psycho-emotional That's politics the thing, of everything yeah, for sure. and are you are you also sort of interested in those yeah, sorts of so, dynamics? Um, I don't know if you in the 90s I don't know if you remember uh, C- City TV would have sex TV right the, so, those like blue softcore yeah. well, movies they would have the softcore movies those were bla- baby blue I remember baby blue show. right yeah <laughs> but uh, the, they would uh, also uh, have like a, it's like almost like a documentary style show called sex TV and growing up I would like stay up at night to watch these because I was like yeah it's like they got boobies in this so like so I started watching it just as like a pure like you know lustful thing but sex TV is interesting because they, they treat it very academically and they, you know, they interview people in alternative lifestyles and they interview like, you know, all these different, the giant spectrum of sex. And so as a kid, I'm watching this as like, you know, like trying to look for boobies. But at the same time, I'm learning about all this like fascinating stuff, like the whole spectrum of like, 
you know, like bondage and stuff. And so kind of, it, it kind of became normalized inside of me. And as I grew up that, that kind of stuff is just like, you know, it's like, whatever, man. Yeah. So then it's not it surprising when you hear like people that you know yeah. have actually done it or people that you meet. That are exactly. Doing it. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, you know, this, this one thing that I was watching purely for boobies really kind of, <laughs> as I grew up, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's what it was all That about. kind of thing happened to me too. Cause there was also, there was like real sex on HBO yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was sort of very similar to sex mm-hmm. TV. There was a show on showcase uh, yeah, whole that bunch. was all about like bondage. Yeah. I don't know I what forget, happened. I forget what shows. it was called. It was like, um. It was out of like Montreal, and it would look yes. at like the yes. bondage scene. Kink, bo- kink, I believe yes, was the so name right. was the name of it. I remember that. And it would come on like after Trailer Park Boys. Like it was, showcase used to be like really edgy. It used to have like yeah, really edgy content stuff. and stuff. And they would do they would do like stuff related to sexuality. Like Web Dreams was all about the internet and sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Kink was all about like dude, you know this stuff. Like so, so I would watch it. Yeah, like you were saying, yeah. sort of lustfully at first. Yeah. But then you realize, like, there's not a lot of actual sex that happens. Totally, yeah. There's, like, like very <laughs> little. Like, <laughs> like, it's mostly just yeah. people being interviewed about the dynamics behind their relationship, which are bizarre, but also but sort of fascinating. Yeah, like, totally. Like, there's, there's stuff that I've learned from that series that... I don't know if so, I can if I can say on air. Yeah. So sort of we have stuff. a whole generation of kids who grew up on that stuff. Right. And it's so it's so interesting, especially too with the internet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Growing up with the internet, you're like, Whoa, well, what there's can the I find? like exposure of por- to porn that's yeah. that's there, right? Kids watching porn is a little weird, but yeah, man, you can't stop it. I guess. Everybody does it, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, so you're doing like the dating tips thing as part of the Kickstarter. The first couple of rewards I remember were like these suitor trading cards right yeah well that was um that's the tiers that they have and those are like fantasy uh dating profiles for just people on the um on the app like potential princes who would come and rescue the princess so i got about 15 artists to do three dating profiles each okay and then um and then we just kind of i wrote some bios for each one of them and and made these cards yeah so we have about like 50 of them which is intense Cool. Yeah, like the top tiers to get all 50 of them. Let me just say, I've seen some of them because I'm a backer. And they're not just like, you know, guys in like Shakespearean garb with like (laughs) crowns. These are like, I think there's like a like a living popsicle is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Like I told the artists like literally do whatever you want. They're like, well, it was a fantasy world. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. Just do whatever the hell you want. So like Tina DeRider did like a living popsicle where one half is like a happy popsicle and the other half is like a, an angry popsicle. Right. Uh, and it's cool because you get the picture and you have to write yeah. the description. Yeah. yeah. And I, I almost have to fit into the world, but I necessarily don't have to, but yeah, so it kind of, it kind of works and it's good. And, and it's great because, like, now I have, you know, 50 potential other characters included in the book. You know what I mean? Right. That you can draw from yeah. and just have as, like, cameo appearances. Yeah. Or, or even, like, the ideas that I include in those characters I could bring into the book. That's right? awesome. Yeah. So, why why dating tips? Like, you're not... Are you are you in a relationship now? Are you, like, uh, a serial dater or what? <laughs> yeah, I actually don't date a whole lot. I've probably had one relationship and dated, like... 
been on like three first dates. Okay. <laughs> so, so it's a little weird to write a dating tip uh, thing, but I really like watching people and I really like talking to people. So the book's not necessarily going to be like, you know, hard and fast dating rules. It's going to be like more of how to be a good person, how to talk to people and stuff like that. So Yeah, like you find the commonalities that maybe yeah, people can exactly. use in their dating life. Yeah, and not. I wanted the the dating tips to be like kind of gender neutral, so I didn't want to be like, well, you pick up chicks this way and pick up dudes this way. It's more of how to just relate to people and hopefully from there people can get dates from that, you know? Right, right. And you wanted to tackle sort of diversity. Like, yeah. as a person with disability, like, I can tell you a lot of things about, need to talk about, that, yeah. about dating <laughs> sort of with a disability but you're right like it's all the same like all the stuff that i go through sort of applies like generally yeah but it's also sort of specific to to the fact that i have cerebral palsy and that i use a scooter and that sort of thing but i mean mainly like when you have a disability it, it comes down to like disclosure like are you how are you gonna like are you, are you or are you not going to disclose the fact that you have a disability, particularly if you're, like, dating online? Okay, yeah. Because that's what, that's what I did. I, I dated online because, yeah. you know, as sort of a geeky dude and an indoor kid who, you know, <laughs> yeah. drew and, did you know, got raised by television, I wasn't exactly the most attractive person to, like, the ladies, right? And I didn't know how to, like, do that kind of thing and, like, approach them mm-hmm. or whatever. Through my high school and, like, university life, there's a lot of, like, unrequited, like, (laughs) distant uh, love happening where it's like, I think we're dating, (laughs) but she's not calling it that. So, I I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know, we could take it there. But uh, but but, uh, that's not a result of your disability, though. No, no, it's just... Maybe a little bit. I mean, you usually when you have a disability, there's also this thing in the back of your head that goes, "Oh yeah, like it's probably because I have a disability, and like they don't, they don't want to like they don't want to like oh, touch crappy. that sort of st- sort of stuff." You don't know though. Like it could be but like you, you your own. That, yeah. ins- like it's weird because it's sort of a cycle because your own insecurities about yeah, dating yeah. feed the fact that you're like insecure about your right. disability, and so you think it's so a disability. But how, my- how do you break through that? So how did I end up breaking? through that so first of all like the policy for me was i'm going to disclose that i have a disability like right from honestly the right on the profile i'm gonna make it like super obvious oh, okay. because because what happens is if you don't disclose and a lot of people don't and they have like the traditional picture oh, but okay. it's like head and shoulder so you don't right. like see the wheelchair or whatever like whatever so if i see people this way i'm like it's like really obvious sometimes <laughs> um, but what happens is like you go on a date with someone and then they meet you like they literally see you and are like oh like yeah, like like right, you right. literally get the like this oh, is not man. what I was expecting, kind oh, of kind geez. of thing, right? That would be hard and to then see. they have to like they, they want to be good people, so they have right. to pretend to uh, just so crappy, just, man. Like like okay, like we can do it, yeah, but yeah. but I'm gonna treat you more like a brother than like a potential. Uh, you know, we can be friends, but like I don't want to take it there, kind of thing. Yeah. And and you do you run into a lot of that? You run into. Sure, but I like I don't want it to be like romantic kind of thing because they can't really they can't really navigate right. the disability thing. But then if I was better at you know 
being a little more uh, confident, right. maybe I could like overcome that even more. But there's a lot of education that happens, particularly when you're dealing with able-bodied people. You're trying to date able-bodied people, right? right? And like, to be honest, if you're a dude, unless you're like super circumspect, dating <laughs> able-bodied people is like sort of what yeah. you want to do because that's what you see. Like that's sexual, right, right. sexual to you. That's what you're exposed to kind of thing. And then dating people with disabilities, I always thought... I always had this preconceived notion that it'd be, like, more work that I didn't want to have to do. Like, right. if, if there was a person in a wheelchair, I don't know if I could, like, you know, help them. Which yeah, is very, right. like, very, very myopic and pretentious <laughs> of me to think right. that someone would need my help and, like, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I mean? Like, it was very it was crazy. A thing, yeah. So, how did I overcome all this? And, like, you know... So there's a lot of, like, frustration. A lot of, like, frustration and a lot of, like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I'm probably never going to meet anyone. What the hell? But then eventually, I just stopped caring as much. Like, you stop... You stop obsessing about stuff like that. I I started improving. I started focusing on myself. I started like just doing my own thing, doing like creative things. I I joined jujitsu and started doing jujitsu and like working out more and stuff. And as soon as I started focusing on myself and improving myself and bettering myself, people started noticing and they started coming to me and they, you know, I started getting people that were actually like legitimately attracted to me kind of thing. So now, so now I'm in a relationship Mm -hmm. and I'm in a relationship with a person with a disability. And at the time that I met this person, my girlfriend, Brett, I had just come off of dating another person with disability because I got to the point where it's like, Oh, well maybe it's just easier to date someone with a disability, like the path of least resistance. Like I don't have to, uh, we both have disabilities. We both know that we're dating. I don't have to like educate the person on (laughs) like, you know, I can do this sort of thing. I can feel like we're both on the same page kind of. Right. And that's why I wanted to date online because I didn't want any, any confusion about like what I wanted from this situation. Yeah, that makes sense. I found that like when you tried to like, convert friendships into relationships it didn't always people were like oh like he's dating you because yeah because with disability a lot of people have this idea that like you're not sexual at all for sure you're sort of like asexual like you don't even think about sexuality kind of thing so even if it's like obvious to you that you're trying to date someone who's like a friend of yours, yeah. it's not really obvious to them or they're like putting it out of their yeah, mind they or they're sort that, of yeah. denying what what's happening kind of thing. So if you are dating online and it's a dating site, there's there's less <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's less confusion no. of what's going on. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Also <laughs> So, so that was one strategy. But then as soon as I started focusing on myself and as soon as I started not caring whether I met yeah. anyone and like being secure in the fact that I might be like single forever and like stopped obsessing about sex and like getting that out of my system right. and like, you know, doing things to, you know, make sure that, 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 that wasn't like a total thing that was on my mind all the time. Right people started being attracted to me. But then when I met my girlfriend, I'm like, I I was like, okay, I'm not dating people with disabilities again. Cause I just dated somebody with right, a disability yeah. 
and and I found that I wasn't really attracted to them like I really wanted to be because I wanted to be like a good person and I thought <laughs> oh, no. yeah, you know what I mean well, but, but yeah. I wasn't really attracted to them, so I thought oh like that was horrible I don't know if, I don't know if I'm ever going to be attracted to people with disabilities then I met my girlfriend and she is a little person yeah and I felt like it was like the universe saying okay people with disabilities that you thought you know you'd have to like help and take yeah. care of and whatever but this is basically like a smaller person right. so she's able-bodied in every other way except she's smaller and you didn't think about that did you so it's like, <laughs> yeah, it like the universe <laughs> saying like oh well but you didn't think about this person with a disability but e- so so it's crazy and then even then I thought like what she approached me online. She 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 like you You just catching over. (laughs) I know I know. (laughs) She messaged me, but even then I thought, oh, like like there's no way that she's like genuinely messaging me. Like there's got to be some sort of there's got to be some sort of (laughs) there's got to be some sort of agenda here because online I would send out a lot of messages right. and only not get very many messages to the point where the messages that I did get I thought that that they had some like there was some sort of weird like they couldn't uh, possibly be genuinely interested or yeah yeah like I thought it was I thought it, maybe it was like a like a prostitute posing as like a genuine <laughs> person I, you know is that a thing on dating sites? yeah yeah, yeah sometimes okay. on particular dating sites like you'll think you're talking to a regular person <laughs> yeah. and you're talking to like a a chat bot that right, is for right. like a porn site or something yes. or something like that yes. you know what I mean so I literally thought there's no way that she could like genuinely want to want to date me. Yeah. There's got to be like another hook. And then I looked at her profile and I noticed that she was a little person and I'm like, "Oh. Yeah. She must have saw that I was disabled and she's disabled and, you know, I I'm going to be more empathetic to that because we're both we're both disabled and that's what we have in common and that's why she's messaging me. It wasn't like that at all. That was my own yeah, crazy yeah. <laughs> psychological stuff. If I could have any advice for your yeah, yeah. for your dating, totally. Tips, I'm taking notes, man. You have to work on yourself. Don't worry about dating yeah. people first. Just just work on yourself, and and people will come to you. And also, I mean, a lot of the things that you think other people are doing is just like projection, and right. it's all in your head. Yeah. And it's not, you have to give people a chance. Like, it's 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 mostly you that's in your own way. You think everyone yeah. else is in your own way. You think people are more concerned about the disability than they actually are. Or, you know, you know what I mean? It's it's you getting in your own way all the time. And, and I realized yeah. that I did that, that I did that a lot. And once you start, you sort of drop the, I'm not worthy of being in a relationship because... Because I have a disability, or I have this problem, or I have this problem, whatever. It starts just being, like, normal. And it just becomes, like, a thing, right? Just a thing, yeah. Once you realize that, like, someone is into you, like, they're still here, you know, shocking. (laughs) 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 It's just just a thing that happens. And, 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 like, it can be really detrimental to your relationship if you're still, like... I have no idea why you're, why you're dating me. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Because eventually, 
it's going to be like a self-fulfilling prophecy and you're going to dri- sure, yeah. you're going to drive that person and that's annoying too you. if you're with someone they're like why are you with me uh, yeah. <laughs> and they're just like look man shut up like, <laughs> exactly. let, me just, let me just be with you dude. yeah like, exactly so exactly that's definitely annoying. but that's so, great man that's people uh, need to relax i'm gonna definitely put that in my dating tips because yeah. that's, that's important people need to relax more so that's the thing <laughs> but i'm yeah. So yeah, so like that's I'm really happy that you're that you're sort of doing that because it's a whole other avenue and like genre of comics that I never that I never really yeah it's definitely into. more work than I anticipated right but uh, but I think it would be a good stretch goal so the stretch goal for that is 8k so that's good where are you at right now as of this recording uh, uh, last time I checked was six thousand six hundred and like. 30 or something okay, and we're in mid-september and how long does the kickstarter uh, I think go we have for about, like eight or nine days left eight or nine so, days let's get this going people <laughs> all right cool so people can find it on kickstarter yeah happily ever after uh the after is missing the e at the end because it's a sweet app right so <laughs> uh, okay yeah. how far do you think you're gonna take the take the story um i have about five issues planned I would like to to do all five issues and then and then some uh because I feel like a lot of people really dig the concept. It's tough to be an indie guy and produce comics and just like money is so so hard, you know. Really? I mean? Yeah. So what ha- so what happened producing this comic? Well, okay, so I started making it in January. Okay. And I said to myself like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to pay an artist. I'm just gonna do it because I was I was working at a full time job at that point and I had more money than I ever had in my life and I was like, where were you working? What was it? It was just doing? like a, a development studio in in Toronto. Okay, and I was like, you know, what, man, like I'm I'm rich, man. Like <laughs> I'm living at home. I'm doing all this stuff. It's great. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna pay an artist. And I'm gonna make this comic. It's gonna be sweet. So I met, uh, I met an artist online. I started paying him, and then come April, um, I lost my job. It was a contract position. They didn't renew my contract, but I probably wasn't the best at the job. You know what I right. mean? So I wasn't like necessarily surprised, um, but I was. It definitely sucked. And then, um, yeah, April was like, oh man, April was the worst. Because like, so like I live at home. My parents went on vacation for like a month, uh, pretty much all of April, and I just lost my job. Uh, my girlfriend, we broke up because. Just it was like a mutual thing, but so April I was like, man, I don't have a job, I don't have a girlfriend, I'm not making comics. Like, this is the worst, man. Like, so yeah. I'm like sitting there, uh, just like wallowing in self pity for the, the whole time. Um, and then I was like, you know what, I I got to do something. So I got a, a line of credit. I was pre-approved for a line of credit, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna make comics with it, and um, then do a Kickstarter, make all that money back. So I'm doing it, like I racked up like 6K on this line of credit, and I'm like, oh my God, like this is... <laughs> for this comic? Yeah, well, it was for the comic and like going to cons and stuff and uh, printing like other things like Black Hole Hunters Club issues and stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like this is driving, like I was, I was legit like stressed out. But I mean, no one, you couldn't tell because I'm like super chill on the inside. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but on the inside, it's like, oh man. Uh, well, like I have this problem where I like, I, I, I pick my, the skin on my fingers. So you, like, you could tell like when I'm stressed out by just looking at my fingers. But, um. If you're, if you know that, now everybody knows yeah, that. Well, so they're all going to look at your fingers. Well, it's hard to not know. I mean, like yeah. sometimes, like, oh man, sometimes it gets bad, man. Like I remember in, in university, I had like an exam I was writing. And then I, I like actually bled onto the exam because I was like, wow. So I was like, oh my God, no, this is bled on my exam. So I like got a pen and I was like, just like drew a box around it. 
My professor's probably like, why is there a box on Because this you wanted it to look like it was intentional? Yeah, I, I didn't want like, the professor to be yeah. like, oh my god, there's blood on this test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it, it gets pretty bad. <laughs> and, like, sometimes, like, before, not, not so much now, but sometimes on the side of my jeans, there'd be, like, just, like, blood all over the side of my jeans. Which sucked. I mean, you don't want to be walking around yeah, blood stains no. all over you. What is this Fight Club? Something like that sort of happened to me. Like when I when I first moved to Toronto and I wasn't really used to the winter. On a really cold day, I went outside with like no gloves on. Oh my god! And it was like super super oh, cold yeah, your hands to the on. point where like my skin was splitting, yeah. but I didn't notice. I didn't notice. Mm-hmm. So I went to go buy something, and I handed I handed oh, the lady no. the money, and there was like blood all over my hand Jeez. and all over the money, <laughs> and I noticed at the same time that she was <laughs> like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my god, what is going on? Where is this mysterious blood coming from?" And it's it's my head, so yeah. basically split open. Yeah. It so, so it's like that, but intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, uh, so yeah, so that this this line of credits like going up and up, and I'm like, "Oh my god." God. and uh i'm talking to people about the kickstarter and i'm like super stressed and i have no the idea kickstarter if, that you're gonna do for happily ever yeah. after okay. so i have no idea if people are gonna respond to this book i've i know nothing about it and so i um i, I launched the kickstarter and i'm like well it's just i have to now i'm already like so far in the hole um and luckily it panned out like we got funded in six days and now we're in the stretch goal territory and stuff and it looks like i'll be able to recuperate all the money that i paid but it, it would just be the money that I paid. And then if I do an issue two, that cycle is just going to continue again. You know what I mean? And then there's no guarantee that an issue two is going to be as successful as issue one. Well, right? But why didn't you fund it before instead of instead of spending the money ahead of time? Well, because you have to have something to show people, right? Because you can't, you can't just come right. like have it. Yeah, have the first issue done. Yeah. And then, but then for the second issue, I mean, you already have the first issue, so yeah. But I can't would do that. A, be like the proof of concept for the yeah. But I can't do a Kickstarter and be like, well, this is what issue one looks like, and I have nothing for issue two, right? Like yeah, I'll have to like finish true. issue two. Yeah. I, hopefully, I can make enough on issue one that I can fund an issue two and maybe do a smaller Kickstarter for something like you know two thousand dollars or something. But uh, we'll see, right? Are you okay in terms of jobs now? Are you still looking? No, yeah, I, yeah, I don't have a job right now. Okay. Um, and I am looking, but it's not, I'm really trying to focus on comics. So, like, when, when I lost my job, I was like, you know what? This is, this is the universe telling me that, you know, like, do comics. I need to do comics. So, but you need to make money off of the comics. Uh, like, you need yeah, to, like, I guess, yeah. if you're, <laughs> you're going to do comics, you have to make money off the comics. But I think if, I, if I'm able to make a good comic, Maybe I can further my career that way and then make money other ways. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I don't want you to like go into debt for every issue of the comic. Hey, man. Sometimes that's what you gotta do. <laughs> you know, because it's just a cycle. It's like, oh, good. I funded this Kickstarter. But yeah. if the next Kickstarter doesn't fund, <laughs> yeah, you're, no, you're fucked. Right. You're you know right. what I mean? That's true. So. What else can I do, right? Like, when you're making a comic, you you can't just ask people for free art all no, the time. No, you have to pay the artist. Exactly. And you you have to pay the artist for sure. I mean, something like Black Hole Hunters Club, me and Shane, it's 50-50, and we take any money we make and just reinvest it back into the book. So technically, we're not making any money, but we're not losing any money either. Right. Right? So a situation like that's really good, and you know, both of us aren't getting paid, and it's, we're really doing it for like the love of the project. Uh, but when when you bring on an artist, you really kind of if unless it's like a fifty fifty collaboration, you definitely need to pay them, right? And this isn't because so. he's fully drawing like your vision. Your yeah, vision, I right? mean, like 
I don't like to think that, you know, like, I hired this guy, and I'm, you know, I like to think we're collaborating. Right, uh, but, because um, he brings Yeah, he's, like, designed the it. characters yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, for and, sure. And he does his own, uh, like, panel layouts, and all his all that visual stuff is him. Right. Um, so that that's great. But, yeah, yeah, I guess, like, I own the idea of Happily Ever After, which is always so weird to think, like, I didn't sign a contract with this guy, and everyone tells you you should sign a contract. Mm. So it's... I'm not, like, the best businessman, Aaron. Have you ever thought of maybe, like, pitching to a publisher instead of, like, yeah. doing the full comic yourself? Uh, see, that's this. So that they yeah. could finance the that's, comic? It's scary, though, man. Like, that's the thing. I, I've i I've tried to, you know, like, people tell me, yeah, Black Hole Hunter Club's good, pitch that. Deep Sea's good, pitch that, you know, uh, happily ever after. But it's just... I can't bring myself to... I'm scared, man. Like, I right. can't... But the first time uh, you do it, like, the scariest part is the first time. Yeah. But yeah. then once you've done it... I mean, you're sort of ahead of the game because you already have things that are completed that you've done. Yeah. Right? But that have reputations. It's hard, man. <laughs> People know about it, man. I know. I know. You're right. And I should. But I don't know what it is, man. Like, I, I feel like I'm... I'm so, like, indie that I don't... I don't, I'm, I'm worried. You want to stay there? Yeah, well, I'd like to stay there, but at the same time, like, I guess maybe I fear rejection. I don't want to, like, get rejected by publishers, because that always sucks, right? Like, I'm not the most confident dude, so. Like. Yeah, but at least but at least you tried. I mean, yeah. Toronto dude. Comics, you've already sort of worked for a publisher. Hey, everything you're saying is right, Aaron. I mean, <laughs> sorry. I don't want to be, like, the guy giving advice on his own podcast to the guest. <laughs> it's kind of pretentious. No, man, pretentious. but you're right. I mean, like, there's so much more that I can do that I'm not doing because either I'm, I'm anxious about it or I'm scared about it. Uh, and it sucks, right? Especially like right now I don't have a job and it's like, I could be like really killing it right now with like comics and like promoting myself. It's, it's just hard and it's scary. And I, I have a tough time doing it. I, like I, it's hard for me to sell myself to people because right. I, I guess I'm so like, you know, uh, low key about everything. So yeah, if someone's like, "Oh man, this is amazing." I'm like, "Yeah, it's all right, I guess." It's like, well, yeah, I mean, all like hard to, flaws and it's stuff. It's hard to like. Yeah, you need like a manager. Yeah, totally. You I need to like hire Don King. You need like, like a guy who can like promote you. Yeah, be the sort of pallbearer to your undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you know My, what I mean? Uh, was, was Macho Man's manager, uh, uh, million know. dollar man, or something? I don't know. Um, yeah, because. I, I think that's that's what it is, and then also like you just have to take a ch- you just have to take a chance because yeah. like yeah the Kickstarter thing that that that's awesome it works it's great but then you can't but then if you want to do like five issues you can't keep doing that every yeah. every issue no right? that's true man so, so we'll see <laughs> yeah. I definitely think Happily Ever After is the most marketable comic so if I sent it to places like Boom or like Oni I think that they would look at it seriously, which is really exciting. Oni so. particularly, I think that would be yeah, and pretty perfect. Because it, it reminds me of a lot of the um, angst and like arrested development and sort of 20-something questions that people were asking in, in Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Because Brian Lee O'Malley is like really good at the, at the whole like struggling with 
adulthood, like maturity <laughs> yeah, yeah. thing. And I think this is that. It's it's this person trying to come to terms with her own sexuality, but then also mm-hmm. is sort of geeky and immature because she's into the the universe Pony Mages, which is like a yeah. backup story <laughs> in the in the comic, right? Like yes. Pony Mages is like it's sort of like you remember Dark Shadows? It was, it was like no. a it was like a horror sort of soap opera. Uh, Tim Burton directed a movie with Johnny Depp based on it. And Dark Shadows is sort of like this, it's like a full on, like, like really dramatic soap opera, but it was like set in sort of a monster sort of universe. And Pony Mages reminded me of Dark Shadows because Dark Shadows was in black and white. Pony Mages is in black and white. Pony Mages is sort of like the Game of Thrones (laughs) self-serious part. Like, like tell the people. So, um, there was just like one scene where, uh, the, the girl, the princess who captured the other princess says like, Oh yeah, she's talking about Pony Mages. Cause like if she, if that girl was in this, in this world, she definitely like, like my little pony. So I was like, okay, well, if, if happily ever after is this like bright, colorful world, in, in My Little Pony is a bright, colorful world in our world. And then we, we switched the two. My Little Pony now is this like dark, grim, dark fantasy, uh, like Game of Thrones, you're saying. Um, so, so yeah, so that, you know, there's a Necrony who's like a Necromage and stuff like that. And they're all sort of like magicians, but like yeah. super serious, like <laughs> pony magicians. Yeah, it's like, it's like super dark and serious. Um, so I wrote that, or I wrote that like reference and then I was talking to Aaron Feldman about it. Uh, who you've had on the show, right? Yeah, Aaron Feldman, editor of uh, Toronto Comics Anthology yeah. Volume Three. Yeah, he's he's like a he's a great writer. Yeah. So I I came to him and I was like, look, man, like I got this, um, and we we're just talking about it, not necessarily like anything in particular. Um, and then we started talking about it. it'd be hilarious if there was like a a backup comic about it because I was thinking of making it a stretch goal, but then it eventually just evolved into being in the book. Uh, so we were talking about it, and it was almost like how Watchmen has, like, the Dark Corsair or the Black Corsair. Yeah, yeah, very much like that. Yeah, so it's, it's it, thematically, it's kind of connected, but at the same time, it's its own thing. Um, so well, then, I mean, the added complexity with Alan Moore is that, like, that the Dark Corsair sort of references what's going on in the main, in the yeah, main story. Yeah, to be honest, I never read it. All that, like, auxiliary yeah. stuff that yeah. Alan Moore writes, I'm always like, get out of here. Yeah, Mark. yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like how it, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen has all this prose in it. I'm like, look, dude, I'm here for comics, man, not, not right, novels. Right. <laughs> right, but if you do read it, you get, like, a deeper understanding of, like, the main book. Yeah. And, but you're not doing that in Pony Mages. It's it's sort of a separate story um, that's in well, no, universe. I mean, thematically, it's kind of connected. And okay. It, it's... It has its own like connection to the world, but yeah, it's it's definitely like its own thing. So Aaron, he wrote a script with he wrote a script that was like fantastic. Um, I've had people ask like, "Oh, why didn't you write it yourself?" And it's like, "Well, I didn't want to write it." You know what I mean? Like, I needed someone else because my writing's very loose and kind of yeah. Fun. You need like a different tone, a different yeah. sensibility. So, so Aaron was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And he did it, and it was like great. And he edited the main book too, so he knew all about what happily ever after was. So he did that, and I was like, "This is fantastic." So we we had to look for an artist who was like fun enough to do pony stories, but also like do a dark kind of thing. And it's actually surprisingly difficult to find an artist who could do that. A lot of artists I contacted, I feel like they thought I was like some like twelve year old kid doing like My Little Pony OC, some sort of fanfic. Yeah, and they're like, "Ah, oh, no, I'm not interested." And it's like, "Oh no," but there's so much more than that, you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so eventually, we found an artist, Iris Hop, who's like, I think she's from like Belgium. 
Not 100%. She travels a lot, so I don't know where she's from. Okay. But she she killed it. Her stuff is, like, so detailed. And when you talked to her, did she get it right away? Yeah. Yeah. So, she, she was down to do it, and I was like, look, it's about ponies and it's about magicians. And she's like, yeah, man, it's cool. She read the script. She's like, yeah, I really dig it. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> so, so yeah, so she started doing it. And um, it just it turned out so good. It's, it's really great. Who's the artist on the main book? Uh, this guy, Nicholas Londiex. I met him online on a subreddit, uh, Compo Collabs, which if you're looking for an artist, is a really good place to look. Cool. He's from he's from England? Yeah, he's from the UK. Um, and I was paying him in pounds, actually. So Whoa. the exchange rate was kind of crappy for me. But then when Brexit happened, I was like, oh, yeah, discount. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a pound really, like, plummeted, right? And, right, right. Uh, so I, I could pay him the same rate, but it's cheaper for me. Right. But, <laughs> so. Wow. So what happened? Like, like you... You got in a situation where you like lost your job and you were paying this artist. Like, yeah. did you guys have to like come to an understanding? Or? No, that's where the um, the line of credit came in. Okay. Uh, so I started paying him through that, right. and um, and then so I figured like you know I could pay like the minimum monthly thing just so my credit's not terrible. Are you paying Iris as well? Yeah. Okay. I was paying so, her as well. So there's oh, it was only it was only twelve pages, so it wasn't as like intense. Right. Um, but if you're going to continue the comic and the backup story and stuff like that, you got to like plan for yeah. Paying yeah. two artists on an ongoing basis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> okay. true. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, the line of credit really saved my ass in terms of that. Because if it wasn't for that, I'd I don't think I'd be able to finish the book. Right? So, so, like, what do you think is the answer? Like, you're a guy who's like an indie person, and the, the, you're probably not alone. Like, there's probably a lot of people going into debt for their art and trying to like make things happen yeah and you know the landscape just isn't there for like publishers to take a risk on something like that so i mean what do you think the answer is i mean you're probably just trying to figure that out yourself what are the problem what are the problems you see with like the industry that forces someone like you to like go into debt for for this sort of thing I mean, like, I don't want to blame the audience because obviously, like, if they don't care, they don't care. Right. But, um, you really, it's hard to build an audience. And I think that's, that's what is going to save indie comics is if people care about indie comics because you can, you can look at creators like, you know, Jonathan Hickman, you know, all these big guys who are doing independent comics and they can do it because they have the audience behind them. And like someone like, uh, Brian, Brian K. Vaughn and his, uh, panels, or whatever that web thing is called. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that he did with uh, Marco. Yeah, yeah. Marco's chin, I think. He did something. Yeah, it, it was, it was like, great. And he, it was like a pay what you want thing. And it was like know, a webcomic. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a webcomic. And then Image printed it in like a hardcover thing, which was really cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, so like people like that, they have the audience to support their indie yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's a name. So yeah. people are just going to follow him wherever. So at the end of the day, the. The way to make indie comics successful is to get people to buy your stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that isn't the easiest thing because not only do people not care, the people who do care probably don't have like tons of money, right? So it's the same thing. With, it's a, the problem with fine art, right? Like the people who necessarily care about fine art don't have the money to support fine art. Right. But then corporations kind of like come in and buy these pieces for millions of dollars. Right. And, and the they, people but they don't care. Right? And I'm, and I'm in talking to you, the people that do fine art sometimes don't have the, their own confidence in their own work yeah, enough to think totally. that it's good. 
Uh, Ricky Lima. (laughs) So, (laughs) like, but, like, Black Hole Hunters Club, and I I haven't read Deep Sea, to be honest, and, uh, you know, Happily Ever After, what I have read of it, like, they're both really good, really marketable ideas. And if you were in front of the right people, I'm sure that they would publish it. Yeah. I mean... The thing that, like, whenever I go to cons and I go to those panels on, like, writing comics and, like, how to break into the industry and stuff, the first thing that they say is have something done yeah. that you've actually published For and written sure. whatever. You have two things and you're working on a third thing. So, it's like you're ahead of the game in the sense that you it's done. You have things that you can yeah. show that, and you've collaborated with artists. Like, you're, you fully know. Like, if, some, if Marvel gave you a book today... You'd be able to do it because you know how to like work with an artist, <laughs> like uh, which maybe, is way yeah. which well, but at least you're ahead of people that have never that want to sure. break into yeah. comics and have never done it, or they've only yeah. written a script and they've never actually like accomplished anything. Like you get shit done in a way that like Thanks, a lot of people are like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, yeah. or uh, like they're they're scared. I mean, you're scared about like the promotion of your comics. They're scared of actually like doing Making, the comic, yeah, yeah. right? Even if none of these books get published and none of them make money and you're just poor, <laughs> at least, at least, <laughs> at least you have something to show yeah. for like future books that you do. Like if you ever get in front of Marvel or like yeah. an editor or whatever, you have things that you can show to them and they could give you actual paying work based <laughs> off yeah, of, based off done. of the free toil and struggle that you did all those years ago so it still might pay off hey, in man, the long run you're selling me too well man. <laughs> it still might pay off <laughs> you know what i mean like and and i think that's the advice that i have for people listening to this that want to get into comics is like don't give up because even if the comic that you're making doesn't make any money at the time yeah it might pay off later in the long run kind of thing and like not only am I scared of the promotion thing, I, f- I feel like in a way I'm kind of scared of success. Like it's easy to be an unknown indie guy and doing your own thing on your own terms. There's no expectations. Yeah. I mean, people, people don't care. You can just do whatever you want and people are like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And you're like, yeah. But like once you become successful, that, that's, that's the hard thing. Yeah. Like with this Kickstarter, every single person that backs the book, I'm like, oh my God, is this person going to like the book? I have no idea. Right. It's just so, it's so much pressure to like do it. But it shows that there's a market. I mean, like, have you looked at, like, the country breakdown? No, like, there are I people, actually, Dude, dude. There are people in, like, Singapore and, like, yeah, Milan. Yeah. There's and, a lot like, of, like, international people. There are people that are, like... But that's yeah, the scary I wanna, part, And they though. don't know you at all. Like, yeah, totally. I know you. I... I I've I've seen you like like you know mm-hmm. you're you're like a legit person to me yeah. but they're like <laughs> oh this sounds like a good work they have no idea who you are they're basing it solely on the Kickstarter description. But that's scary, man. These right? people, these people, who are these people? I don't know. Especially right. if they back it for a lot of money, I'm like, oh my god. But it's good. It's good, man. It's yeah. good. You need patrons. You should get a Patreon so that know, you can man. fund Ricky Lima's creative <laughs> efforts forever. You know, it's, <laughs> that'd be it's, sweet. Yeah, it's sort of no. It exists. Like, well, no, I know, I know. But like, so that's that's what happened when I did the deep sea Kickstarter, right? So right. I, I did the deep sea Kickstarter. I, I, I shipped it. I didn't even have time to think. But once it was done, I, I just kind of like fell into myself, and I couldn't I couldn't be creative for like a year and a half. So it finished in October, October 2014, and I didn't like really do anything until January 2016. It took me that long to really kind of like 
do something. You know what I mean? But you were doing Black Hole Hunters that whole we between did, that uh, whole thing. We did issue six for Fan Expo of 2015, but that was it. You okay. know what I mean? Like it wasn't like we did much because I was I was so uh, I like to use the term shook. <laughs> I was I was so shook at that point that I couldn't. My brain just couldn't think of anything, and I kind of just like. Uh, fell into like just playing video games for like a couple of months because the graphic novel was so long and it took took out I guess, your creative yeah. I was juices. Like, I was like, you know what? I deserve to take a little a little time. And then I feel like I, I told people at the time that it was almost like postpartum depression. You know what I mean? Like I came, I released this book, and now it's like, well, a lot of people were like, well, what's next? And I was like, I don't know, I don't know what's next. And so I just couldn't. I was shook, man. Man, I was, I was shook. Stan Lee has been making millions of dollars off of like a few properties that he created a bunch of decades few huge ago properties. few huge but like they started out as yeah small ideas and stuff like that and like he hasn't created anything <laughs> since the 60s um, do you remember stripperella uh, uh, was- but like <laughs> stanley set up a guy who puts his name on stuff and like comes like he's the dude who like Based on a pitch, yeah, he yeah. can make money off it. Like, I, I firmly believe that all of Stanley's current ideas are just like the elevator pitch. And then it becomes. <laughs> and someone else and, and yeah, and then it be- Yeah, and then it becomes Stan Lee's whatever. Stripper. But someone else is executing it on his behalf for sure. I don't want anyone to forget about Stripperella. Right, right. Stripper, <laughs> on Spike TV, when yeah, Spike TV was like the network for Anderson. men. It was so stupid. And they brought back Ren and Stimpy, too. Also. Which was crappy. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, like think of it that way. Like he is like the biggest dude in comics and yet his biggest creative output and he had help a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of help. Was like over a few decades ago. So it's not, it's so <laughs> some people like you have a limited supply of creative ideas, but you can make money off of them forever. And the thing about books is if you do get them published, if they are in print for long enough, you're still making money off of stuff. What do you want me to tell you, man? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm shook, Aaron. I'm, I'm shook. I don't Success? think you are anymore. Like, S- Happily Ever After will take you out of it. Yeah, Happily Ever After definitely helped. Like, in January, I was like, yeah, I'm done with this crap. I can't create. And I was like, I'm done with not being able to make anything. So, uh, Happily Ever After definitely helped with that. I, I, like, set up a schedule for writing. Good. And uh, Deadlines. I did that. And it was, it was good because, like, I could sit down and do it. But, um, yeah, so we'll see after this Kickstarter, because it's actually way more successful than Deep Sea, so <laughs> I, I don't think I'll be shook, but I might be. Uh, we'll see. I don't think so, man. <laughs> All right, you got to keep me unshook. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I'm going to keep you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it happen. All right, good. Anyway, man, but you, I got to get you out of here, because you've been sitting in this chair for a long time. Yeah, hey, I'll talk and, for and days. I, and man. I appreciate it, but I can, I can see the restlessness happening. Uh, no way, man. This continues. Fucking no, no, no. no. <laughs> I can't, man. We're, we're basically at the end. We talked about happily ever after. I wanted to talk about like these psychological things that are that you're going through because I think you're not alone. I think there there are listeners who make comics that have problems. Yeah, and I, I think figuring that's like, it out. A lot of people talk about mental health issues, and I think that's like probably the biggest problem that we're facing as a society nowadays right is i mean and people could joke about you know like oh everyone's got depression everyone's got this but i honestly think that that is like a huge issue that everyone is dealing with and nobody's talking about and it, it, it could be like a severe problem or a small problem but I, and i think it's it's really starting to like 
come to a head, you know. Either I mean? way, it keeps you stuck. Yeah. Because I know that you want to be successful. For sure, I do. You're just afraid to be <laughs> just, successful. Just and uh, it, definitely technology is a part of that, right? Right. Like, you see people would just post the greatest things about their life, but you don't see everything else, so. Right, right, exactly. You don't feel worthy. Man, Ricky, I feel honored that you that you came forward mm. with this <laughs> on my podcast. Yeah, man, this is the best podcast in uh, I, I feel I feel great that you wanted to talk about this sort of thing because these are the issues I want to get to, man. I want to go deep on this podcast because good. I know that there's a lot of things good, good. that like traditional interviews don't tackle and I want to tackle them uh, in the Tag comics community deep. for sure. All right, so... Uh, where can people find you? How can they get in touch? If they want to write to you and encourage you to create and <laughs> yeah. tell you their stories of the pro- the times that they were shook and they needed to get out of it, where, really, can, who, where can yeah. they write you? I really hope people start using the term shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, you can find me. I'm on Twitter at King K. Rule, um, which is not the British musician. There's a British musician named King K. Rule. And I get so many tweets from people like, oh, I love your work. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> they're actually talking about the musician. You should use that. I know. I, some just people are like. Just pretend they're talking about the car. Yeah, exactly. Some people are like, oh, man, will you marry me, King K. Rool? And I'm like, yes. And then they're like, oh, well, who is this? <laughs> uh, so that's that's that. Uh, Instagram, king.k.k.rool. Yeah, yeah. King.k.k.rool? So, no, just Say rule at the end. King.k.rule. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, d- yeah, so that's that. Uh, Facebook is Black Hunters Club and Deep Sea. You can search that. Or if you want to just add me, like I'm a regular dude. So if there's a British <laughs> musician named King K. Rool, like, yeah. how did you come up? How did you figure dude, out? Dude, I had his name like so long ago before he, because he used to be, um, uh, well, he had a different name, uh, Kid Creole or something, I think his name used to be. Um, and then he changed it to King K. Rool. But I, I already had it like a long time ago. Um, it's based on the Donkey Kong villain, right? So right, K- right, right. King K. Rule, but it's spelled a little different because he's R O O L, I think, and I'm R U L E. Oh, okay. so like the Donkey Kong villain. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And and if people are listening to this, uh, and there's still time, uh, when does the Kickstarter expire? Yeah, uh, it expires midnight uh, September 23rd. So like as soon as the clock hits midnight on September 23rd. It'll be alright. Awesome, man. I I hope that it'll help you and give you some breathing room. Thanks, man. So you're not treading water, but <laughs> don't do this sort of thing again, man. <laughs> I might, uh, I might do it again. Who knows? You need a, you need a little bit of a different strategy, I think, because <laughs> otherwise, because eventually, like the bottom will fall out, and you'll be like, "Where are all these people that supported like me on the first on the first issue?" Or maybe more people will support. Or more people, huh? hopefully. Yeah, there you hopefully. Go. That's what I'm going for. But I'm a pessimistic <laughs> Jew, so you know, I don't, I, I don't oh, know. Man. I don't know. I I really hope. I think they will. I think. This is like a proving that like there's yeah, yeah. a market because it, it's super successful. You got funded in like six days, mm-hmm. but and you should still donate people because even if he's funded, it's not like he doesn't need you. He needs you clearly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so uh, help Ricky out. Uh, support his book. It's really great. I've actually read the first issue, and I can tell you if you trust me, and you must because you're listening to this, co- in this podcast. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you you're in for a treat, and you yes. need to you need to read that kind of thing. All right, so thanks, Ricky. Thank you. Hopefully, people will donate, and uh, 
And I really hope that it just keeps building because if this is like your strategy, yeah. it needs to build for a long time. <laughs> yeah, totally. Thanks, man. All right. Talk to you later, man. See you. See you next time on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Friends.